Friday night, and you're tuned into Voicebox, KALW's weekly music series, all about singing and the best of the vocal music scene from the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Chloe Veltman, and it's smashing to be here with you this evening. The summer concert season is in full swing, and thousands of people are heading to Stern Grove, Yerba Buena Gardens, Union Square, and other wonderful al fresco venues around the Bay Area to enjoy live music. Apart from sunburn, the only downside to all the fun is the toll that singing in front of the carousing outdoor crowds can take on the performers' voices, not to mention the voices of the carousing outdoor crowds themselves. Here's a taste from a performance by the high-octane world music band Ozamantli at the 2006 Stern Grove Festival here in San Francisco to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? But I wonder how many people in the crowd, and on the stage for that matter, found themselves unable to sing or speak to their full capacity the next day. On tonight's Voice Box here on KALW, we'll be looking at how singers take care, or in some cases fail to take care, of their most important asset, their voices. With me, Chloe Veltman, in the studio tonight to explore how we can best take care of our vocal health is the wonderful Sarah Schneider. Hi, Sarah. It's great to have you back on Voicebox. Hi, Chloe. Thanks for having me. Sarah is a speech-language pathologist at the University of California, San Francisco Voice and Swallowing Center and a member of the American Speech-Language Hearing Association, or ASHA. Sarah is also a singer herself. She studied voice privately in addition to performing in choirs and on the musical theatre stage. She's a member of the St. Dominic's Traditional Choir in San Francisco, but is currently taking a sabbatical from the chorus owing to recently becoming a mom. Over the next hour, Sarah and I will be talking about some of the most important ways in which singers can protect their voices. We'll explore a bunch of famous vocalists who do very well at this and others who've been less successful. We'll also look at a few of the common myths associated with healthy singing. But let's cover some basic ground first. Sarah, this is a kind of an obvious question, but it needs to be asked. Why should people bother to take care of their voices? <laughs> well, there are many uh, topics that we could cover and why should we bother. But the primary thing is so that people can, can continue to sing and to speak and communicate throughout their life so that they can have a long, long career if they so choose and um, so that they can enjoy their voice. And also, I presume, not uh, mess themselves up and get super sick and ruin themselves exactly. forever. Yes. Let's listen to examples of a few singers who've taken very good care of their instruments. As a result, they've continued to keep their voices in tip-top shape over the years. Here's the pop maven Celine Dion, the vocal instrumentalist Bobby McFerrin, and the late great Italian operatic tenor Beniamino Gigli. I hear the ticking of the clock I'm lying here, the room switched off I wonder where you are 
Voice Box on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. I'm Chloe Veltman and with me in the studio tonight is Sarah Schneider, a speech-language pathologist at UCSF. We're just getting into this evening's topic, which is all about care of the voice and the biggest myths surrounding singing healthfully. I just played three tracks by a trio of singers who are well known for generally taking good care of their voices throughout their careers. The first was Celine Dion. We heard the Canadian pop diva singing Alone, a song composed by Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly in the early 1980s. The American rock band Heart made the song a hit in 1987 and 20 years later Celine recorded it for her album Taking Chances. Then we heard Bobby McFerrin performing his version of the theme music from The Pink Panther, which was originally composed by Henry Mancini in 1963 as an instrumental piece. Finally, we heard the beautiful tenor voice of the now-deceased Italian singer Beniamino Gigli. The song was L'Ultima Canzone by Paolo Tosti. Born in 1890, Gigli is considered to be the most famous tenor of his generation. The singer was renowned internationally for the great beauty of his voice and the soundness of his vocal technique, and he died in 1957. Sarah, how is the great health that these singers reportedly keep or kept their voices in reflected in what we just heard of their singing? And I think all three of them, you can see how the fullness and suppleness of the sound varies from genre to genre, but it's there in all three of them. Uh, the resonant quality, while it, in the second piece, for example, it sounds, it is an instrumental piece and the vocalist sounds like an instrument. Yeah, uh, Bobby McFerrin really sounded like yeah, a trumpet, didn't exactly. he, in, in parts of that? Yeah, and I think... Um, one of the the keys to a healthy voice at least with a, for a singer and performer is that they know their voice mm -hmm. that they know how to move around it they know what their range is what their healthy range is and they know how to to stay within that um and Celine Dion for example 
she really hits some of those big high notes, but in a really open and free way. It doesn't feel like she's straining to reach them at all. No, she hit, she just soars up there. Yeah. And I mean, think what you like about Celine Dion. I know she gets a lot of bad rap, but I mean, she sings that song like she means it. Yes. And you're totally sucked into it. Yeah, I totally agree. And in the last piece mm-hmm. in the the Gili, cla- mm-hmm. um, he again, just listening to it, it's so effortless. It it feels like he just opens his mouth and it happens. And a healthy voice, sometimes you can't necessarily say this is. You just know it's healthy when you hear it because it's flexible. It has good resonance. It feels effort or it sounds effortless. Music history is packed with horror stories about performers cracking or missing notes on stage or even worse, losing their voices completely. Luciano Pavarotti had a disastrous concert in Ferrara near the start of his career, around the time that a nodule first developed on his vocal cords, and he gave up singing entirely for a while as a result. Mm. The Olivier award-winning British actor Michael Ball spent the first quarter of 2006 on complete vocal rest following the illness that caused him to leave a New York production of The Woman in White. And in 1997, Liza Minnelli stumbled over her lyrics and Victor Victoria on Broadway ended up checking herself into a rehab clinic. So there's no doubt that care of the voice is essential to the business of being a professional singer. But hectic schedules, smoky bars, flu season and countless other challenges constantly conspire to derail performers' attempts to sing in public with confidence, comfort and ease. So I'd like to spend a bit of time now with Sarah going through some of the main things that singers can do to make sure that their voices remain in great shape. Sarah, what's the most basic pointer for maintaining a healthy voice would you say technique clearly technique 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 (laughs) and why is technique so important well it it, in learning technique the the singer learns their voice and learns the limitations the and and how to manipulate it in a healthy way so that they can avoid these many issues that you brought up uh, they can get the biggest bang for their buck by using good technique and and then avoid injury, hopefully. And the other thing about technique as well is if you do get sick or, or, or tired or things go wrong with you, if you have a solid technique, you can You should be able to work it. through, yes. You right. should be able to work through fatigue, um, stress, those sorts of things. You should be able to work through if you have good technique and say, you know, maybe I need to concentrate on my breath a little bit more today because I only got five hours of sleep last night, for example. And yeah, and the other thing about good technique is that, um, you know, it's not uh, just a one hit wonder. If you happen to hit that high note, you can do it over and over and over again every single night blemishlessly, right? If you have a solid technique. It's kind of like uh, finding the sweet spot in a golf swing or in some sort of athletic activity that using your, your singing voice is an athletic activity. And if you know what that sweet spot feels like, you can replicate it. What happens if a singer has bad technique? Well, uh, that's what keeps me in business. <laughs> if people, when people have bad technique, they may have uh, pain in the front of their neck. They may feel very tired after singing. They may have reduced range. Where also, if you have bad technique, you might end up developing a nodule or a polyp or a cyst on your vocal fold and end up having to have, maybe, having surgery. And if you get a cyst or something like that, can that completely ruin your career if you don't treat it? Does it just destroy your voice completely? Um, for some people, if they don't manage it appropriately, it can put a stop to things. There are a lot of singers that have lesions on their vocal folds and maintain a very healthy uh, uh, 
successful career. So it's a matter of, number one, not waiting around to see if this is just going to go away on its own. It coming in, getting evaluated, and then and then getting the proper treatment. Is it possible to have a lesion or something like that that's major and not even know for your whole life? Uh, the, well, I think there are some people that have sort of maybe a raspy voice and they've always been raspy, that maybe they have something on their vocal folds, but that's the sound they're known for. And I think some people, for example, that maybe have a raspy voice and are like, well, I don't want to go to the doctor and have them change my voice. But I think um, if you go to the right physician, that's not the intention. The intention is to help you keep the sound that you have, but make it in the healthiest way. Can good technique be gained through a one-size-fits-all approach? Absolutely not. Um, I think with each person, and this is something I do on a daily basis, is we might have a a set um, amount of exercises that we are drawing from, but each person is going to learn and experience that in a different way. And it's really adjusting each of the exercises or each of the groups of exercises to the person individually. Now, what about punk and metal rockers? One thing that fascinates me is how hardcore singers can get through a single concert, let alone decades of performing, while screaming, barking and growling the way they do. You'd have thought that the vocal cords of John Bon Jovi, Steven Tyler and Ozzy Osbourne would have conked out years ago, but these singers are still going strong. Let's listen to a snippet of the iconic San Francisco punk band, The Dead Kennedys, in action. The group's lead singer, Jello Biafra, has had an amazing career as a singer and a politician. So I kill children, and I and die. I kill children, and make a mom cry. I kill children, I make the hip doors. I kill children, can I wait for you? This is Voicebox on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. And that was Jello Biafra, the lead singer with the 1970s and 80s San Francisco punk band, The Dead Kennedys, at his snarling best. The song was called I Kill Children. It comes from the 1980s album Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. Sarah Schneider, a speech-language pathologist at UCSF, is in the studio with me this evening. We're talking about vocal health issues. So, Sarah, what's the secret to healthy screaming? Well, first, I have to say that still when I hear certain people scream, I'm kind of scared <laughs> because we see so many disorders in our office that that you just, you know, it kind of makes you cringe like, ah, I hope they're doing it okay. <laughs> um, I think the secret to healthy screaming is finding what works for each person. Um, some people can do it without experiencing pain or discomfort or really scratchy throat. Um, and other people, if you're experiencing pain, discomfort or a scratchy throat, uh, then you need then you need to tweak what you're doing. Um, the sound um, in the, some of the really heavy, heavy metal screaming is actually made with um, manipulation of the microphone and also how they're um, manipulating the vocal tract or the part of the throat above the level of the vocal folds. So it's not, the impact is not necessarily on the vocal folds, but in the squeezing above the vocal folds. Okay. So that, because it happens above, that means it doesn't hurt or damage the yeah, vocal folds? it doesn't damage correctly. the vocal folds themselves. Yes, exactly. You may, there may be this, this um, period of time of experimenting with how can I, how do I do that? But, um, 
but it can be done. And there are really specialists. I mean, I I could never teach that to someone. I think there are specialists out there that really teach that heavy metal rock screaming, and they're really good at it. <laughs> You're tuned into VoiceBox on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. On tonight's Voice Box show, vocal health expert Sarah Schneider is in the studio with me for a discussion about vocal health issues. We just heard Nathalie Dessay performing Ich habe genug from Bach's Cantata Number no. 82 with Emmanuel Heim and Le Concert d'Astrée. In 2001, Dessay ended up cancelling performances when her voice started to give out on her. She underwent surgery twice, first for a polyp and then for a cyst on her vocal cords. But by mid-2005, she was back on stage and she's been performing to rave reviews ever since. Which brings us to another important pointer for vocal health care. Obviously, some illnesses can't be detected until the voice starts to fail or the body gives out altogether, as was the case with Dessay. But after maintaining great technique, preventing health problems is very important, right, Sarah? Absolutely. And so what are the keys to preventing vocal health problems? One, I think, um, while some people would debate this, is as we were talking about, is training and ongoing training. So you have somebody that you know your voice and you also have somebody else, a second party, another set of ears that's listening to your voice. So if something feels off or sounds off, you have a couple people listening to you to try to catch it. Um, other things are um, sleep at night, hydration, um, avoiding things that are going to dry out your throat or irritate your throat, um, using a good speaking voice. Uh, the list goes on. Yeah, and we'll touch upon some of those things in a little more detail later on. Mm -hmm. Is it easy to prevent vocal health problems? Do you think people tend to have trouble doing this sort of stuff? Well, it's sort of like... Uh, going to the gym, you know, we kind of stay on track for a while if, and then we go on vacation and miss two weeks of the gym and then we have trouble getting back on track. So I think sometimes vocal health is, is like that. But um, if it's your career, that should be enough motivation to uh, hopefully uh, keep you on track. What are the advantages and disadvantages of taking prescription medications to help with voice issues? So the, it's always somewhat of a balancing act. So I, well, I'm not a physician, so I'm not prescribing this medication. I'm working with a lot of people who experience the side effects of this medication. So for example, a woman said the other day, 
you know, um, my voice teacher told me not to take my allergy medicine, even though I have allergies, and because I'm a singer. And I mean, the fact of the matter is, is if your allergies are bad enough that you're congested and your eyes are watering and you're sneezing, if you don't take your allergy meds, it's going to be hard to sing anyway. Right. So take your allergy meds and increase your hydration. You know, balance out the effects of the allergy medication. Speaking of stuff that we ingest, Sarah, what are your thoughts about food and drink when it comes to singing? So as far as food and drink, um, you know, uh, reflux is a hot topic. Um, Food and drink, should we talk about hydration Hydration would be a good one, yeah. So hydration, um, we want to maintain good hydration. We can have systemic hydration, which would be ingesting water. Mm-hmm. or And how much water? Some people recommend eight glasses of water a day, eight, eight ounce glasses, which would be 64 ounces. Um, and I agree with that. The The primary thing you want to pay attention to is that you pee pale. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that helps you know that you're hydrated because some uh-huh. people may require more than eight glasses if they drink caffeine or if they ingest other drying agents or um, if they take certain medications. Like, for example, an antidepressant could be drying. Yeah, okay, okay. And when you say hydration, is water really the only thing that you should be drinking? I mean, what about tea, for example? Is that good for you? So... So I think it depends what type of tea. I think caffeinated tea is going to dry you out. For every caffeinated drink you have, it cancels out that much water. So if you're drinking decaf and you like the warm feeling on your throat and you feel like that helps you your throat relax, great, drink tea. So chamomile tea. Perhaps. Yeah, I think that's great. But the thing, one thing to remember is that your body is going to absorb a compound different than it absorbs like plain old water. So if you really need to be hydrated, drink water. Okay. And what about the effects of of alcohol and other drugs? So alcohol, just as caffeine is drying, alcohol is also drying, and usually it decreases our inhibition. So we tend to be a little louder when we're drinking alcohol. So that's another consideration. Is it the alcohol or is it the actual voice use patterns? But alcohol, drugs, caffeine, those sorts of things all can be an irritant. Um, They dry you out and can be an irritant. And then what about this issue you mentioned very briefly uh, about the acid reflux? Yes. So as far as acid reflux, it's, it's a hot button issue. You know, some people will say that it causes voice disorders. Other people will say that it contributes to voice disorders. I think the thing is, is if you're feeling heartburn, indigestion, you're feeling acid come up into your throat, it's worth getting it checked out by a physician. And if you're a singer, um, getting it checked out by a laryngologist so that they have in mind what's happening with your voice and what's happening with the reflux. And so some people have this issue, um, have to sort of change their diets radically, don't they? Yes. What are some of the foods that people often have to give up as a result of this. So all of the fun things. Um, It's always the way, isn't it? (laughs) So for example, orange juice is very acidic. Um, It's better to eat an orange than to drink orange juice because it's so much more concentrated. Um, Tomato sauce, tomatoes, uh, red wine. We think of all of those uh, lovely things and those are all very acidic. Um, Even white wine can be a trigger for some people because again, it's acidic red wine may be worse. It all depends on the triggers for the specific person. If you know you drink, you have dairy and it gives you more reflux, then avoid the dairy. If you know that tomato sauce is your trigger, then 
don't have tomato sauce. Well, dairy is a sort of a bête noire for singers in general, right? Yes. Don't they tell you as a singer that, you know, you should avoid dairy anyway? Yes. Because it creates mucus or it something? It does. So any uncooked dairy products are immediately drying to the throat. So like, you know... Um, when you some people will eat ice cream or have an ice cream cone and then they're kind of you know feel the little filmy sort of feeling in their throat and it might even make them cough a little bit those things should be able to be um readily fixed with a little bit of water but obviously you don't want to um, have an ice cream cone or yogurt or milk before you perform This is Voicebox on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. Tonight, voice pathologist Sarah Schneider is here with me to discuss vocal health issues. The snippet we just heard from the 1969 musical Oliver was inspired by the conversation we just had about the perils of indigestion and acid reflux on a singer's voice. Before we get on to talking about a few more important ways that vocalists can look after their voices, I thought it would be fun to think about some of the biggest myths associated with vocal well-being. There are a lot of them out there, aren't there, Sarah? Absolutely. I've made a list of a few of my favourite ones. Perhaps you could help demystify some of this stuff for the voice box crowd. So here we go. Sarah, true or false? Belting is dangerous. Ah, so my initial response to this is it's a loaded question. I would definitely say that it is a myth. But what what you want to think about with belting is um, if you it depends on the technique you're using. And we go back to technique again. If you're you pushing your chest voice up as high as you can go and using really high pressure to do that, which you almost have to if you're going to push your chest voice up too high, um, you may end up develop, developing some vocal fold lesions, you know, a nodules or polyps. Um, but if you're using more of a mixed belt and really maximizing that amount of forward resonance that you can that you're feeling, then you should be able to belt safely and maintain a career with belting as many people have. True or false, wearing a scarf around the neck helps to keep the voice warmed up before singing. False. <laughs> and when I, when I saw this myth, I was like, so are you actually warming up and then putting the scarf on? Or are you just using the scarf as your warm up? <laughs> it's a fashion accessory. Yes. <laughs> it looks great. It looks really great. So, I mean, warming up the voice slowly by maybe doing some body stretches and then doing some breathing, then coordinating the breathing and the voice together, and then slowly beginning to move through your range is really important. So you can wear the scarf uh, to make nice. you look good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, true or false? Whispering is good for the voice? False. So um, generally, actually, in our practice, we advise patients not to whisper. Uh, there are times when we have to whisper, and there, I'm going to do for you two different whispers. So if I'm whispering in this sort of way, I'm very relaxed. My throat is fairly open, and I'm just letting the air flow. I'm not constricting a lot. If I do this like church whisper... I'm constricting my throat and then I'm forcing air through, which can actually irritate the vocal folds. It's called sort of a shearing effect and can, can cause damage. Okay, here's another one. True or false, Sarah? 
honey and lemon aren't just throat soothers. They're helpful for lubricating the vocal cords. I wish it were true. <laughs> yeah. I wish it were true. It's a myth. Um, and, and this may surprise you, but nothing that you drink or eat actually goes past the vocal folds. Oh. Um, if it were to go past the vocal folds, we would choke. And, that, and we all know what that feels like when something goes down the wrong pipe. So it actually, everything we eat and drink does go down the throat into the esophagus, not to pass the vocal folds. So uh, back to that hydration, systemic hydration, drinking more water goes through your body and then hydrates the tissue. And then surface hydration, like steam inhalation, is going to help the vocal folds because you're breathing it in. Right. Yeah, I, I know of a number of famous singers who use the steam hydration. Yeah. And that helps them a great deal. Yeah. So so in fact, honey and lemon, it just tastes nice. Or it tastes nice. And placebo. maybe, you know, if it, yeah, exactly. If it feels good on your throat and that's part of your sort of pre-performance routine or you're winding down, great. Do it if it feels good. But it's there's no scientific evidence. So the, so the lemon is is sort of it's taken for its vitamin C properties. Perhaps? Yes. And maybe, you know, maybe if you have some thicker mucus, maybe the acidity in the lemon is breaking down some of that mucus. But if you're well hydrated, you're going to have thin mucus anyway. And what about the honey, though? Why do people think honey helps? I think it's that coating feeling. Like as it goes down, it feels kind of like maybe it lubricates the actual throat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, don't, I mean, it's not sitting in the throat and it's not going to stick to the throat. So I don't know that there's there's really not. I guess there's sugar in it and that gives yeah. you a bit of energy, too. So maybe, maybe that's yeah. helpful. Yeah. OK, so here's one more uh, myth for you, Sarah. Mm -hmm. No pain, no gain. True or false? Mm -hmm. uh, it's false. No pain, no gain. I said myth with a capital M on this one. <laughs> because um, it, any pain associated with voice use is an indicator of, of misuse, it, of either inappropriate technique, overuse, yelling, shouting, whatever it may be. Um, so I think that that if you're experiencing pain, stop, please stop. And, um, but one qualification, there are different types of fatigue that we might feel. Like if you're learning something new or you're just starting voice lessons or you're, um, you know, working in an area of your range that needs to be developed, you might feel tired after a specific exercise, but it's a tired that you can say, I don't feel scratchy. I don't feel uncomfortable. It's just something new that I'm learning. It's not a pain or an achy or a raw feeling. So that's the difference. That's a difference. Okay. So in terms of the last point, I think more singers should know when to stop hurting their voices. Mm. I lost mine a while back and I just kept singing through it when I should have taken a complete break and not sung for a while. But I didn't stop. So why is rest so important for singers, Sarah? So um, I use the example of running a marathon. So if tomorrow, if I went out and ran, ran a marathon, I would probably have to quit after maybe the first mile, to be quite honest. But if I ran a little and walked a little and ran a little and walked a little, I could probably make it through the 26 point two miles. So the same thing happens with your voice. You are, the vocal folds are as big as your thumbnail and as thick as a paper matchstick. And with all the talking and singing that we do every day, we're expecting our voice to run a marathon every day. And if we don't take breaks, the tissue doesn't have a chance to rebound. It's very obvious. I don't know why I didn't take more time <laughs> to recuperate. Um, it really takes its toll though. I mean, yes. when I pushed through my voice and I couldn't speak for a few weeks, mm -hmm. um, it really was, completely gone and I feel like I'm still recovering several months later from that experience I've lost a 
quite a few notes from the top of yeah. my range and uh, things don't feel still don't feel good it takes a lot of time to recover it does and I think that's one of the things that this is a good thing to bring up is if something like this happens and it lasts longer than two weeks and it's good a good thing to get it checked out or by your doctor or you know really start sort of say you know my voice is my livelihood and what can I do to sort of what can I cut out and and what can I rearrange to try to give myself a little time it doesn't mean it maybe it's not complete voice rest which is fine um, in in many cases but maybe it's just saying where can I cut back can I not talk to my mom for 30 minutes on the phone on my drive home from work kind of thing very sensible and what about sleep how much sleep should singers get a night to feel on top of their game so Sleep is an interesting topic, but, um, you know, I think the recommended amount of sleep would be probably eight hours of sleep. But some people say, you know, never sleep eight hours. And some people feel like, you know, they're just like, I'm a person who needs 10 hours of sleep. So I think the most important thing is to listen to your body. And that's uh, with all of voice. It's listening to your body, listening to those cues that your body gives you so that you know what the limitations are. And what about napping? Do you think that's a good thing before a performance to take a nap? Does that help? I think it depends on the person. Um, if you did not sleep well and you're tired, take a nap. You know, if um, that's the only way you can rest your voice is to, to shut your whole body down, then take a nap. You know, um, it really is all about your body. Own sense of your own body. I think, as we were saying earlier, there's no one size fits mm -hmm. all approach to any of this. Yeah, this is Voice Box on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. Here on KLW's Voice Box, all about vocal health care with special guest Sarah Schneider, we just heard the versatile Indian singer Hari Haran performing songs in a couple of different musical genres. Born in Kerala in 1955, the renowned Indian singer is equally comfortable moving between Ghazal, a classical Indian form, indie pop, and Bollywood film songs. We first heard the Ghazal song, Jumle, then we heard the indie pop song, Kai Zara. In that song, Hari Haran sings with a few other Indian artists, so we didn't just hear his voice alone. I played those examples to lead us into our next vocal health pointer of the evening, the importance of cross-training. In other words, practicing singing across several different kinds of musical genres. Sarah, why is it important for, say, a classically trained singer like Hari Haran to also explore his indie pop and film song mm -hmm. sides? 
the more you know about the voice, the more about your own voice, the more power you have with your voice. Um, you know its limitations, you know the ins and outs of it. And I've actually um, heard some people that have done Western classical music and then Broadway, that they actually feel like their voice in both genres is better when they start cross-training. So it's, um, I think it's like cross-training if we're running and biking. You know, the same thing, we're strengthening the mechanism in a different way. On the subject of training the voice to make it more supple, what are your thoughts, Sarah, about warm-ups? What's the value of warming up? Hmm. Other than, you know, wearing, obviously wearing a scarf around your yes. neck <laughs> isn't going to do a great deal. So can you, uh, can you tell me about that? The value of warming up is, um, is just... I keep going back to the athletic example because I think it's it's relatable, is that if we were going to go run, we would want to stretch and maybe jog a little before we started sprinting. And the same thing is true with our voice. We want to really stretch out the vocal folds by doing some vocal eases. We want to stretch out our body so our body is really involved in our singing. We want to get our breath going so we have that support, the power source is ready to go. So, um, so I think... If we don't warm up and say we just, you know, do a quick sound check and maybe sing a quick song, um, our voice isn't going to be in tip top shape, ready to go. Can you take me through a few basic warm up exercises? So um, something I might, well, let's let's do a voc vocalizing. We won't do any stretches so that you can all appreciate them. I don't think stretches <laughs> would go across very well <laughs> on the radio. Agree. So um, one of th one thing I might start off with is some tongue out trills. Uh, they're sort of a variation on a raspberry. So putting the tongue, resting it over the lower lip, taking a nice abdominal breath, and then. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So as we're doing this, we have to release the tongue, we have to release the jaw, or we're going to bite our tongue, and we have to have airflow. So if we start warming up by doing maybe some trills, getting our breath moving and letting the jaw and tongue start to release, um, the larynx is also going to relax. So a descending glide, maybe some sirens. Exactly. And then I might even take the trills into some arpeggios, just... Yeah, exactly. And in, in feeling, am I using my breath? It, does it feel focused? Am mm -hmm. I feeling that vibration in the front of my mouth? So we're starting to say, where do I feel it? Do I feel it in my throat or in my mouth? Then opening up maybe to some open vowels, mm -hmm. maybe an ah, maybe an ooh. You know, sometimes I'll start with the the person's favorite vowel that they're that I work with. So maybe doing, let's start with just an ah. A same from the trill we just did in arpeggio and then into the ah, 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 ah. from the trill so you'd, would yeah. you would you do the trill would, first and mm -hmm. then go straight into the ah or? I would I'm, it depends on on the p person's proficiency with this mm -hmm. I might start with the trill and bring them through mm -hmm. um, comfortable part of their range and start building mm -hmm. and then go into the ah or if they're losing some of that focus and the relaxation then I may do a <laughs> Ah, okay. and even keeping the tongue out for okay. relaxation. All right. So, you want me to do that? Yeah, you don't have to do it <laughs> if you don't want to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels actually much looser when you do the ah after you've been doing that trilling. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Good. 
So we're actually coming up on the end of the show, but there are a couple of other vocal health tips I think we should talk about before we say goodbye. The first is to do with the people that a singer surrounds him or herself with in order to make sure that they're in tip-top vocal health. Like a Formula One race car driver, a singer also needs to have a great team to keep them on track. Can you tell us about some of the professionals that a singer should consider having around them in order to maintain their Mm -hmm. sense of well-being, Sarah? So first and foremost, I think, um, as we've been talking about technique all night, is your voice teacher. So first, the voice teacher. um, And also, and this does not have to be in your time of need, it's nice to have a baseline with a physician, a laryngologist who really specializes in voice, who can look at your vocal folds and say, this is how you look when you're healthy. Maybe you have this laryngologist, hopefully, maybe in an ideal world, works with a speech pathologist like myself, who also specializes in voice. And then, I mean, there are a multitude of other professionals, but I think the voice teacher, a laryngologist, and a speech pathologist are probably the most important basic members of the team. And what about people like chiropractors and and how useful are they to singers? So I think it all depends on how how you manifest tension in your life. How do you manage stress in your life? Some people manage stress by their shoulders and their neck getting really tight mm-hmm. and they maybe are out of alignment. So a massage therapist and a chiropractor really are helpful mm-hmm. for them. Some people think an acupuncturist or acupressure or your yoga teacher. Or a shrink for that Yeah, matter. exactly. <laughs> because the voice is a very emotional part of us. So yeah. the, that psychologist may be the best part of your singing routine. And of course, if I were a, a highfalutin and singer I would also have a manicurist yes a masseuse, your steamer my steamer <laughs> my dog walker your fanner <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly um, the second point I'd like to bring up is the issue of talking how does the way in which a singer uses his or her speaking voice affect the well-being of their singing voice so even professional singers are probably speaking 80% of the day and singing 20% of the day. So the speaking voice um, is a huge part of voice use. And the speaking and the singing are two branches of the same tree. Um, and they're, they're made with the same breath, the same vocal folds, and the same resonating cavities. So the more efficient and safe you are with your speaking voice, the, the better effect that should have on your singing. Well, I think I've done just about enough talking for one (laughs) evening. I want to say a huge thank you to the fabulous Sarah Schneider, UCSF vocal health expert, and my special guest in the studio this evening for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. And thanks also to Joanne Ma, my terrific studio engineer. Voicebox is produced at the studios of KALW in San Francisco and is made possible by support from the Wattis Foundation and our listeners. And this episode of Voicebox was generously underwritten by the American Speech Language Hearing Association, making effective communication a human right, accessible and achievable for all. Visit www.asha.org and enter voice disorders into the homepage search engine for more information. We couldn't make Voicebox happen without you, our listeners. To find out how you can become more involved with Voicebox, including how to make a tax-deductible donation to support the project, please visit our website at www.voicebox-media.org. You can also keep up with us on Facebook and via Twitter. And we love to hear from you, so please write to us with any questions or comments at info at voicebox-media.org. Don't forget that you can now listen to the latest edition of Voicebox and any of the station's other great locally produced music programmes whenever you like. Visit KALW's online music player at www.kalw.org. 
Next week, we'll be travelling to the Balkan hinterlands for a show all about the ancient, diverse and very beautiful singing traditions of Eastern Europe. Shira Chion, singer with the famed Oakland-based vocal ensemble Kitka, will be on hand to take us on this special musical journey. So please join Shira and I next Friday at 10pm right here on KLW. I'd like to play us out with a song by singer who pretty much puts the lie to everything we've been talking about on tonight's show. Janis Joplin, one of the greatest vocalists to have ever come out of the San Francisco rock scene, is famous for having abused her voice during her short life. She partied like a lunatic, losing herself in frequent hard drug binges and sleepless nights. Forget water, southern comfort was Joplin's preferred form of hydration. But even though she sounds like a wreck and probably disregarded every healthy singing tip in the book, her singing still jackhammers to the core of existence itself. A few years ago, NPR asked listeners to describe the voices of famous singers. When Joplin's turn came around, people described her variously as a chainsaw with a broken heart, the sound of iron rusting, and the lit fuse to a stick of dynamite. Here's Janis Joplin with Peace of My Heart. Have a songful week. (laughs) 